Hello and welcome to another episode of The Abundant Edge, the podcast all about the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a fantastic interview for you in this episode. So stick around and we will jump right on in. Right, so before we get started, are you looking for a gift for your loved ones in the upcoming season? but don't want to get them some consumer junk that'll just get tossed out in a couple weeks? I know I always struggle to find gifts that will have a positive impact, something that will fill the coming year with the practical and positive solutions that permaculture has to offer. So consider a gift subscription to Permaculture Magazine of North America. From recipes from the garden to useful DIY projects, tips from the pros, and so much more, a subscription to Permaculture Magazine is a perfect way to spread positivity and useful knowledge all year long. Your friends and family will be thrilled to have all this information at their fingertips as they develop their own healthy and regenerative lifestyles. If you order the print version, you'll also receive the 25-year digital archive of the original Permaculture International magazine from the UK as a free bonus for a limited time only. There's also a digital subscription option for people like me who are always traveling and need this as a resource while we're on the go. Permaculture magazine is a proud sponsor of the Abundant Edge podcast and here to be a platform to support the voices of the permaculture movement throughout North America. So show your support this holiday season and help to strengthen the permaculture revolution with a subscription today at permaculturemag.org. All right, wow. Here we are on the last episode of season one, and I have a really valuable interview for all of you to wrap up the season. Over the last year, we've talked so much about the regeneration of landscapes and ecosystems through permaculture, as well as natural building techniques and materials. But to end on a bit of a different note, I spoke with Brianne Gibson, founder of Circular Nutrition, to talk about some unexpected ways to apply holistic design and living practices to our own lives. Brianne is a leading holistic nutritionist, live food expert, and permaculture practitioner who talks to us about cultivating a regenerative ecosystem within ourselves through healthy eating and lifestyle choices. She dives deep into the controversial topics of GMO foods, fad diets, and digestive issue treatment. Brianne even gives me a mini consultation in which we go over my own history of digestive illness and discuss how antibiotics, parasites, and diet can contribute to gut dysbiosis and some of the ways to get back to optimum health. I can only imagine how many comments and discussions that these topics will spark just for how personal everyone's opinions about health and nutrition are these days. Now the truth is, I've become really fascinated by all the ways that permaculture design and regenerative project management can be applied to other areas of life besides the more commonly associated land-based renewal projects. And you can look forward to hearing a lot more about these topics when Season 2 of The Abundant Edge begins on February 2nd of 2018. But don't forget to keep listening to our little in-between episodes where I'll give some early enrollment information for our upcoming regenerative homesteading apprenticeship the 2018 workshop schedule, and information on how to get your questions answered by our panel of experts, all coming up in Season 2, so stick around after the interview to hear more about that. Now this is another information-dense interview, so you might want to grab your notebooks for this one, and I'll turn things over to Brianne Gibson. Hey Brianne, thank you so much for taking time today. How are you doing there in Columbia? I'm doing really awesome, thank you. So I know we've got a lot to cover in this interview, so how about we just jump into the, some of the questions and we can go from there? Sure. Yeah, sounds great. All right, so let's get started by talking a little bit about your background. 
Tell me a little bit about how you got into health and nutrition and how you've learned to apply that to the environment around for your clients and for yourself. Sure. Well, um, I started off actually um, in the military for 10 years working as a bioscience officer. So what my work pertained was I was really writing environmental Health, human health risk assessments for countries globally, um, really studying um, and analyzing samples of soil, water, air, infectious diseases, um, and various environmental factors and what the pose, you know, the damage that those things had could potentially have on the risk to the humans that were exposed to them. Um, so that was kind of my first slide into the environmental side of things, um, I also did some toxicology work when I was completing my uh, master's in environmental science. So I had a huge passion for env environmental science. And it was actually during that time um, when I had been started my master's that I really became aware of how us as a human species were impacting the state of our environment. And so outside work hours, I went on this massive research and trying to figure everything out of like, okay, well, if we've damaged our environment so much, how is that impacting um, our health? What does that mean for our food? And I, and I went on this massive research trying to figure it all out. Um, so that led me into studying holistic nutrition, um, also studying some homeopathy, doing some uh, training in yoga and went really deep into meditation. So it was kind of a whole combination um, when I became really aware of just the impact and the state of our environment and, and what could we do, um, you know, for our own health, but also for our for the environment to thrive here essentially longer. Fantastic. You even studied some of those things here in Guatemala and Lake Atitlan, didn't you? Yeah, actually, Guatemala was my first stop when I when I took that big jump into the unknown and let go of my my career in the as an officer and um, you know because I really during that time I didn't feel I was in the right spot for where I was to serve um, so. It was like something inside of me was just like, this is not where I want to be. This is not allowing me to reach my full potential and live my true passion. And so when I took that step away, took off the uniform, um, Guatemala was actually my first stop when I started my, I guess, journey into really getting out there, exploring permaculture, um, watching nature, connecting um, with people and the culture and the land. And um, it was right in San Marcos there that uh, I was up at the yoga forest, actually. Um, when they first started, I was, I think, one of their first interns um, there in uh, San Marcos. Yeah, and through there, you got to know Jeremy Fellows, one of the partners here at Abundant Edge, right? Yes, he was amazing. He was my first permaculture teacher. <laughs> Excellent. He's actually going to be back here in just a couple days now, so we're looking forward to having him back here too. Yeah, no, he was great. We had a little hour workshop before our day's work, and I learned a lot from Jeremy, so super, super grateful for that time there. That's great. So now let's talk a little bit about how you help clients to achieve better health in a way that includes the health of their local environment as well. Sure. Um, so essentially, uh, one of my big things when working with clients is really getting back to nature. So not only, you know, your outer nature, but also your inner nature. Um, so talking about our inner ecology, 
our inner body, our right down to our gut. Um, so, you know, educating and working with my clients in a team type setting of really empowering them to get reconnected, go in within themselves, but also outside themselves and realize that your external environment has massive, massive impact on your health. And what can you do to optimize your health and performance in whatever setting you are in? Um, and a lot of that comes down to getting reconnected to the natural world around you, whether that's the food, whether that's where the food's being grown, getting out into the forest, touching the earth, getting dirty, you know, all these things to really just get more integrated to what's real. Um, so that's a big part of how I work with my clients. Um, Sure. So let's go now. Uh, I know you mentioned you'd studied some toxicology in the past. Can you talk a little about mm -hmm. how the exterior environment affects one's health and how can someone improve their own physical condition by repairing their interactions with the ecology around them? Okay. So do you mean in terms of what's happening out there in the environment that are affecting people's health or really what can that individual do um, no matter what environment that they find themselves in? Well, let's start with how the outside world can be affecting your health and then okay. maybe on a case-by-case -case basis, we can touch on a few of the things that people can do. Because obviously this is a very broad range, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the external world, there's so much happening out there right now when we talk about our environment. Um, and depending on where you may live, um, you know, there's different things happening in different areas. But as a whole, there's a lot happening. Uh, one of the key things that I'm super passionate about is really, you know, the soil. Um, most uh, conventional agriculture has, we've lost our soil and a lot of what our food is growing in is essentially dirt. It's dead. It doesn't have the nutrients in it. doesn't have the live microorganisms in it. And therefore a lot of the food that people are eating do not have those nutrients either. And like like us, we need, you know, 70 different types of vitamin minerals. Plants need the same amount. And so when the plants aren't actually being able to um, be fueled that from the soil that they're growing in, we're not getting that either from the food that we're eating. So a big thing when, when I work with people is really sharing, like, where is your food coming from? Going back to source. Source is so critical in terms of is can you connect with your local farmers? Can you is there a farm nearby? Is there a farmer's market? How can you connect to the source of where your food's coming from and really be putting your money towards what you want to support? Um, and that I think this is like a really big, big thing that we, uh, as a humans, we need to be doing more and more, um, especially in the urban environments. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Now, I also know that you feel passionately about GMO foods and removing them specifically from our diets. What are some of the harms that these genetically altered food products present? Yes. So <laughs> I realize it's a bit of a controversial issue. Yeah, it's a bit of a controversial issue, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of myths out there about genetically modified organisms um, because of, you know, the big corporate um, agriculture companies, corporations out there that are really instilling a lot of these myths and, and, and you know, people getting 
you know, it's kind of, well, I, I believe it's a fear-based driven because whoever controls the food controls the people. Um, so genetically modified foods um, in the way in which they're moving, I mean, they are growing and, and they're in so many foods out there on the market, especially processed foods. So that's another reason um, I always suggest like move away from processed foods because most processed foods are going to have these genetically modified foods in them. And some of the top genetically modified foods are corn, soy, canola, so a lot of canola oil, and sugar beet, which is the sugar that is used in a lot of processed foods. Um, when we talk about genetically modified foods, there has been since you know, since they've come out onto the market, um, and they've been out on the market for about over tw about 20 years now, is there's been, there was no, there has been no long-term human clinical trials. There's been no post-marketing surveillance. There's been no um, proper evaluation of, you know, what actually is happening to the plant um, and how those changes and then that then comes into the human body. What is that doing into in our gut? Um, when it has been, when a gene has been altered or turned off or taken out, um, or something else has been, you know, added to that gene, um, from an alternate source. Um, the other thing about genetically modified foods is, um, governments, you know, the, the approvals to get them out there on the market, um, they're based on disproved or untested assumption. And a lot of them are coming from the very corporation that, um, uh, develop the genetically modified food. Um, so, and I guess the last thing maybe to say is they're not labeled. So a lot of, they're not labeled, but yet we can, we know what foods they are and they are in a lot of foods. <laughs> so it does, it can make it challenging, but at the same time, um, there's so many other foods to enjoy, um, moving away from genetically modified foods. Essentially, um, Simply put, there's been no precautionary principle applied to genetically modified foods, despite um, many science scientists out there warning about the potential health risks, um, which can include like allergies, toxic exposure, um, disease, nutritional problems, and um, yeah. So I guess that's it in a nutshell. It is a huge topic area. Um, and there is a lot of research happening now. There has been a numerous animal studies that have shown significant health impacts, um, including things like tumors, organ disruption, kidneys deficiency, and I guess on the environmental side, um, a lot of genetically modified crops, one of their statements was they will allow us to use less pesticides, but in the end, farmers are actually using more pesticides on these crops because they've been actually made to be pesticide resistant. So farmers can now spray that crop heavily using even more. And statistics are showing that this is the case. So genetically modified foods also have high, higher levels of pesticides on them, which our gut and our bodies are, um, you know, they, they are impacted by severely. Um, glyphosate is one of them. Certainly. From the yeah, so I've, I've heard a couple of sides to this argument, and, you know, it can be very difficult for the layperson to sort of wade through the different arguments and the different evidence from both sides. But for me as a permaculture designer, the main thing that I see being attempted with genetically modified crops is simply mm -hmm. to overcome bad land management practices. 
So the reason why they're changed to be able to be resistant to pesticides is because we continue mm -hmm. to plant things in a monoculture that is extremely susceptible to pest damage. Um, and mm -hmm. all of the other either nutritional or, I guess, security modifications that are made to the genetics of these organisms is all with the intention as sort of a band-aid fix for an endemic problem with how poorly the landscape is managed under modern farming techniques. And so whether you believe the research about it being damaging or whether you believe the rebuttals that, you know, there's not any evidence to say that it's uh, causing disease in, in the body, either way, it's really just masking mm -hmm. the fact that we haven't figured out a good way to mass produce Definitely. a lot of crops in an ecologically sustainable or regenerative manner. And these Band-Aid fixes are really not ever going to be sustainable in the long term. They're always going to be overcome by the, the lack of nutrition in the soil and the poor management of the ecosystem around it. That's, that's my personal take on it. Totally. And I totally agree with you. I mean, there has been a couple studies done side by side, like on a... I think it's the Rosedale Institute, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, genetically modified crops compared to, you know, a fully integrated system. And that fully integrated system way outperforms the genetically modified crop. And the thing is, is that, I mean, nature is way more powerful than any genetically modified. She's just going to keep showing and, you know, creating more and more harder, harsher and harsher new pests, new weeds, whatever it may be, um, until it kind of clicks that, no, just work with me. <laughs> sure. So, sure. yeah, definitely. Now, I, the idea here is not to make this all about uh, GMOs, and I would like to sort of switch gears here again <laughs> because <laughs> that could be a whole sure. podcast in and of itself. But I would also like to talk now about some yeah. of the fad diets. Um, with so many different fad diets and health gurus sort of spouting advice and nutritional information, I'm wondering your take on how we can figure out which health plan is right for ourselves and also for the planet. People seem to be so entrenched in their own decisions for health and diet, and it seems very close to a lot of people's either personal egos or um, larger lifestyle mm -hmm. choices. So this always ends up being a controversial issue, but I'd like to hear your own opinion on that. Yeah, um... Yeah, there are so many diets out there. There's so many fad diets out there, but they're just fads. They're not they're not ones that are necessarily long-lasting. They're not necessarily ones that are going to be resilient for your immune system and for your digestive system and really optimize your health and performance. So when we talk about like which diet is right for you, it really does come down to that. What diet is right for you? What does what does your life look like? What what's your physical activity? What's you know, what's your mind state? How's your, you know, it's all the holistic approach to it, spirituality, mental, intellectually, physical, and your lifestyle, where are you living in the world? What are you, how are you spending your time? And so all of these components really impact what, what that diet, you know, what that diet is going to be for you. Um, so I don't have a direct answer for you in terms of, you know, what diet, um, is best. But one thing I do know is eat food in their whole form, eat food that are colorful, eat food that, um, have been grown from 
sustainable regenerative systems that actually have the nutrients in them that they are to have, or at least closer to, um, than ones coming from conventional agricultural systems. Um, so those are key, I guess, yeah, whole, whole, lots of plant-based foods, lots of color, lots of green foods, um, highly alkalining foods. All of these foods are going to be good for anybody. Marv, that's a great way to just sort of sum it up. Um, I think people get a lot sort of off track or caught up in the details and the semantics and even sometimes the the worldview that come behind a lot of these diets. And it's much more about a larger world ethic or um, moral sense than it is about the nutrition that your body is mm-hmm. getting. And I think, yeah, that's probably one of the best ways that you could summarize uh, a healthy lifestyle from a nutritional standpoint. So I appreciate you kind of boiling that mm-hmm. down for us. Yeah, you're welcome. And I, no, go ahead. I just one more comment on that. You know, the easiest way is it's often what you take out than what you add in that's mm. going to impact your health and performance. Yeah, another great point. You know, because there's there's typically, right? Like, so yeah, it's more about taking out something that's going to be, that's negatively impacting you than just, you know, adding on more good things. But if that instigator is still there that's impacting you, you know, you're not going to feel better. Um, so that's another way of looking at it as well. That's a fantastic point, and I think that applies to so many other aspects of life as well. Um, If you remove the negative, you're often Mm -hmm. going to have better results than if you just try and mask it with more positive. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right, so let's switch gears again once more. Um, (laughs) And this is going to kind of touch on something that's personal for me. And it's that I hear more and more often these days, especially from friends, family, and acquaintances, that they're suffering from digestive issues. And I know that's something that you specialize a bit in. I myself have had really chronic digestive problems my entire adult life, and it seems like it's becoming a more common ailment all the time. Uh, So obviously, so many health issues originate in the gut because it's where nearly all of our nutrition starts. But what I'd like to know Mm -hmm. is your take on why there seems to be such a severe uptick in digestive issues. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we, we we already hit on it a little bit with genetically modified foods and the level of pesticide use that is being used over in food crops today. So there's a lot of other things that are coming into our digestive system, not just the food itself when we're actually taking foods in. Um, and, you know, on the plant side of things, that's a lot of that comes uh, to pesticides with one of them being glyphosate used heavily. Um, the other thing is in animal products like dairy, there's growth hormones, there's antibiotics. Um, and then there's also the processing of the food. So like milk, for example, a lot of processed milk has reduced size, like the fat globules in the milk have been reduced in size due through the pasteurization process. And it, that allows unwanted substances to seep into the bloodstream. And, and when we get unwanted substances into the bloodstream, whether that's milk or other food components, um, is that, um, and oftentimes their protein is it's going to provoke inflammation throughout the body and, and lead to different health uh, issues for the individual. So, I mean, there's just so much more coming in with food than just food itself. Um, and I think a lot of human bodies uh, and digestive systems are, you know, speaking. They're, they're really talking like, look, something's, something's not on here. Something's affecting me. Um, and people, even when they think they're eating healthy, it can get really, really frustrating because 
they may be eating, you know, the healthy foods, but really it comes back to source. Like, where did that food come from? Where was it grown? What has it been exposed to? When was it picked? from the time that you're putting it into your mouth. Um, and so even in transportation as well, the exposure it's had. So there's there's a number of different factors there um, that are really impacting a lot of digestive systems. Nice. So let's move now and kind of use me as a case study because though my circumstances are kind of unique, I would imagine that a lot of the things that I've been through in my digestive journey uh, could offer some insight for other people either suffering from similar ailments or who have struggled with some similar symptoms. Sure. So walk me through some of the questions and some of the assessments that you would make for someone in my condition. Sure. Um, okay, so I mean, first off, I would probably ask you how long you have actually suffered from these digestive issues. Okay, so... More or less for the last 12 years, I've been having issues related to uh, parasite damage since I've been traveling, because that's how long I've been kind of moving around internationally, and damage okay. from cycling on and off, especially in the early years, uh, antibiotic treatments, which I would imagine from what I've learned from other people has done a lot of damage <laughs> to my personal microbiome. Yes. Yes, antibiotics is uh, somewhat like putting a bomb through your digestive system. It wipes <laughs> out all the good and the bad. It so to put it bluntly, feels like it sometimes. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so you said about twelve years. So was it really since you started traveling, or what was happening, or what else changed at that time in your life when these when you started experiencing these digestive issues? Well, traveling definitely was the largest change in my lifestyle at that time. Um, I went to a couple of developing countries early on and I had some run-ins and some indigestion after like accidentally drinking river water or some, uh, had some dirty food. Okay. Street food in Thailand is best to be avoided unless, <laughs> unless you have yes. a very resilient <laughs> system, but I didn't know that back then. Um, and since then I've been to a lot of developing countries and a lot of circumstances where just the, the sanitary conditions were poor. And I've suffered from everything from Giardia to Salmonella to E. coli and pretty much everything in between. Okay. Okay. And so since, so over these 12 years, it's been quite consistent for you? Um, yeah. So even when I don't have something specifically in, infecting me or, you know, um, some sort of viral infection, I'm usually either recovering from the damage from those parasites, or like I said in the early years, after taking antibiotics, um, just having and not knowing how to repair the system after a mm -hmm. dose of those. So I can't look back to a time when my digestion has been consistently good for any any longer than, say, a month in those last 12 years. Okay. And and at those times when you did recon recognize that it was maybe a little bit better, was did you were you able to... They, like, was there something that stood out like, oh, hey, maybe this, this is helping my digestion right now? I think or was um, it in a couple of circumstances, my diet kind of became more consistent. I know in the Philippines, okay. when I was feeling better, I was eating a lot of rice every day, a lot of fish and vegetables, and that was pretty much it. It didn't very, very often. I didn't have a lot of either sweets okay. or processed food, and um, I was eating at a consistent times almost every day. Okay. Okay. Um, and what does um, what does your food intake look like on a daily basis, typically? These days, I eat a whole lot of sweet potato, 
Um, I've heard recommendations from other people that it's one of the better starch forms as far as nutrition and digestibility. Um, oh. It's kind of like one of my staple foods. I also eat a lot of tortillas. I've tried to cut out beans, but they're pretty common here in Guatemala where I live. Uh-huh. And among that, a lot of other root vegetables uh-huh. and... I pretty much cook everything. I very rarely eat raw vegetables, maybe only the occasional salad that I grow in my own farm. Okay, okay. And are you eating any fruits? Not very often. Most often bananas. Occasionally uh, papaya or pineapple, they're common around here as well. Okay, okay. And what about your water right now? Is it, um, are you putting it through a filtration system or is it coming from a spring or... So where I am, we get municipal water, which comes from the river here in town. And I don't, I think it's pretty minimally filtered, but I do use sort of an eco filter, which is a unfired clay container. And I think I've been pretty good with that. I wash it out regularly and I don't drink or cook with any water that hasn't been through that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, overall, I mean, with the food that you're eating and they're all they all sound like they're whole foods and you're minimal on any processed or sugary foods so that's great um as for i mean when working with someone when i work with someone with their digestive system obviously it's very personalized um in terms of you know the steps we're going to take moving forward depending on where they are and and the length of time and the the symptoms that they're having um and the lifestyle that they're living as well. But some some things that would probably be beneficial for you um, is definitely, I mean, you mentioned the um, the potatoes or the sweet potato as a, as a starch. Um, foods actually that have resistant starch in them can be, are very beneficial for the gut. Um, and the, these, you may have heard of them, it's prebiotic prebiotics. So it's essentially the food for the bacteria or the microbes in the gut. So the the probiotics are actually what we can take to bring into our body. So we're actually bringing bacteria into our body, but they're transient strains. They're not going to stay there for very long. They're going to kind of help us out and then, you know, be eliminated. Prebiotic foods are actually the foods that are going to feed our residential bacteria. So the bacteria that have always been in us and are living in us and they go into hiding when things get out of whack and imbalance. Um, so we want to eat more foods that are actually going to, um, really feed those microbes. So helping the friendly gut bacteria and this starch produces, um, short chain fatty acids and ketones, which is essentially fats that we can then use to burn as fuel. So, Resistant starch is really like a superfood, kind of like for the gut. Um, It helps to be beneficial for the gut bacteria and also for probiotic balance as well. Um, So some of these foods uh, are asparagus, carrots, uh, garlic, Jerusalem artichoke, jicama, leeks, onions, radishes, uh, chicory, flax, uh, yacon, mushrooms. These are all really powerful foods when wanting to bring more resistant starch in and really help to fuel our, our gut microbiome. I was going to mention one other thing. Sure. Um, the other thing with parasites, um, because I've actually, I've traveled a lot as well. And one thing that I do to help 
optimize my immune system and my digestive system while I'm traveling, especially drinking different types of water, um, is eating papaya seeds. Um, so anytime I have a papaya, yeah, that's a common one down here. A lot of people know about that remedy. Right. So they're very anti-parasitic. Um, and I, they've really, that, that, that's one thing that I've, you know, I kind of, I don't know if they're the reason why, but I, I do incorporate them into my diet when I am in countries that I have access to papaya. Um, some other things are cinnamon is also a very medicinal spice. Um, mm. It has a phenomenal level of antioxidants, which are essentially, you know, they fight the free radicals in our body. So helping to ward it off cancer cells and, and a number of things, but they also help to fight fungal infections and viruses. Um, and cinnamon is also antiparasitic. It's antimicrobial, anti-inflammatory. So really helping to boost not only um, the immune system, but also so helping with the gut. There are also um, a few essential oils that I typically bring along with me. So the power of plants, but in the form of essential oils. And um, a couple of those are lemon. So the, the, the rinds of the lemon are used in lemon, lemon essential oil. And I mean, lemon and citrus have been used for centuries for food poisoning, malaria, scurvy. Um, but this the rind oil provides it's an antiviral it's an antifungal and it's great for intestinal parasites as well so dropping like a drop of a lemon essential oil one that can be ingested because there's a lot of a lot of essential oils that aren't um similar to food they have other artificial fillers in them or synthetic fillers so if you do intend to use a, a lemon essential oil to help your system um, so seeking out and doTERRA is one of them. Um, and I can provide more information on that if so, if you're interested, but, um, one that can be ingested. The other essential oil, um, oregano is a great one. Uh, it's an antibacterial, antifungal, antiparasitic, also really great for stimulating the immune system. Um, so you drop a, a drop of oregano essential oil in the back of your throat and it can do wonders as well. So those are a few things, um, especially when traveling and on the road. Marvelous. So that's really great for pre preventative care. Could you talk a little bit about how mm -hmm. other people like myself, maybe if they've taken antibiotics for a variety of reasons or who suffer okay. from digestive issues, either caused by parasites or damage from poor diet, uh, maybe what are some of the most effective steps that we can take to repair and regenerate our microbiome and our our digestive health in turn. Definitely. So the first step is always remove. Removing any foods that are going to be fueling the bad bacteria. And a lot of those foods come down to foods that many people generally like, which is sugar, um, dairy, um, and grains. So now it's not to say you have to cut all of these things out, but depending on the state of your digestive system, there it, it may be beneficial for you for a period of time, not not necessarily for always, but until your gut lining gets re-strengthened and, and your microbiome is healthy, then you can reintroduce them back in. But, you know, from genetically modified foods, so corn, soy, canola, and sugar beet, and any foods that may have those in them, so a lot of the processed foods, which is good for removing a lot of unnecessary sugar and, and untrue foods, not in their whole form, dairy from... Uh, conventionally grown dairy, so ones that are going to have a lot of growth hormones, antibiotics, um, those types of things in them, 
as well as grains. Um, for many, many people, um, the component of gluten, which is gliadin, is actually the sticky protein in grain products. And that affects the intestinal barrier function. And what it essentially does, simply put, um, it promotes this release of a protein called zoluene, which controls the space between the cells that line your digestive tract. And when those spaces, um, the spaces enlarge, essentially having like more uh, an increase um, in in between the cells of your digestive tract, that then allows a lot of protein. Um, different protein part to seep into the bloodstream leading to different inflama inflammation throughout the body. And so whether that's digestive issues or inflammatory, you know, muscle joint pain, even into brain, brain, there's a lot of gut brain connection as well when talking about the gut. Um, because the vagus nerve actually, when we're in utero, when we're growing, the vagus nerve grows out towards our abdomen and up to our brain where it's directly connected. So the gut brain connection is, is, uh, very, very strong. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to be said when talking about the gut and what you can do, but a lot of it would be coming down to, you know, looking into that, that, that person and in their state, what they're, what they are eating in the moment and then it would go down to okay what foods would be best to remove what foods may be affecting you the one other one I haven't mentioned is lectins and lectins um, are essentially sugar binding proteins and they act as a natural defense system for plants that protect them essentially from outside invaders when they're growing like mold and parasites when the plant is actually growing but when humans come then to harvest those plants or, um, or beans or seeds, the lectin components of the protein of the, that food actually is not very good news for our gut. It's great news for the plant helping it survive and produce seed, but not necessarily <laughs> good news for our bodies. And many people have sensitivities to lectins. And um, a lot of lectins are found in the grains and dairy um, the, the casein, beans, legumes, and the nightshade family. So the tomatoes, eggplants, cucumbers, squash, um, as well as peanuts, cashews. So there's, there's, <laughs> there's a number of foods in that category. But the, the big thing is, is I always remind people, is it's not that they they're going to be out of your life forever. Um, but if you want to get healthy and you want to feel good, there might be some time where you will have to remove some of these foods so that you can allow your, your gut to actually heal and get strong and your intestinal lining to be, um, you know, closed off and powerful again, um, before maybe bringing certain foods back into your diet, um, depending on what your body feels at that moment in time. Wonderful. That's some very powerful information there. Certainly very useful to me and probably a lot of other people suffering from similar conditions. Now, obviously, all of these things are very nuanced and detailed. And as much as I would love to go into detail on all of them with you, we got to keep it kind of short. So I was wondering if you could put a billboard up around the world with just one message that you'd most like to communicate to the general population about health and nutrition, what would that be? Um, okay, this is a really hard question. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to distill it down a little bit. Otherwise, this will be like an eight part series. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So I think 
it would go hand in hand with, I mean, now since, uh, since I went through, um, my permaculture journey really got reconnected. Um, I really look at the world in a different way and simply put, I think on a billboard would be mimic nature and your life will blossom. Very well said. I love that one. I'm going to try and use that. Now, before I let you go, can you give us uh, a great way to contact you? And if anyone's interested in soliciting your services or finding out more information, where can they go to find you? Sure. So um, anyone can find me on social media, Brianne Gibson, or at Circular Nutrition on Facebook or Instagram. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn as Brianne Gibson. And um, if anyone wants, once they if they find me there to reach out to me, personal message, I love to connect with people one-to-one. Um, you can also check out um, I, If anything today that I, I mentioned uh, sparked interest, I do actually have um, a, a food swap guide out on there and really sharing some things to help renew the gut, rid brain fog, revamp energy that you can uh, download and have some fresh and functional food swaps for get ridding some, some of the top four foods that could be impacting your gut essentially. So um, if you want to check that out as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for a very informative and insightful interview. I hope we get a chance to reconnect again real soon and maybe even have a follow-up in the future. Sure. Thank you so much for having me today. It was my pleasure. We'll talk again soon. Take care. (laughs) Bye. So there you have it. But before we wrap things up for this episode and the first season, I want to thank all of you listeners, students, and collaborators for making this such an incredible year for all of us at Abundant Edge. Your feedback, encouragement, and support give us fuel and inspiration for this podcast and all of our projects out in the field. I also want to remind you to stay tuned over the next couple of weeks when I'll be releasing small interlude episodes in which I'll be giving away exclusive information on early enrollment for our upcoming Regenerative Homesteading Apprenticeship, the 2018 workshop schedule, which includes the popular Intro to Permaculture and Intro to Natural Building that we offer with Atitlan Organics, and also information on how to get your questions answered by our panel of experts during a new monthly feature that I'll be calling Regenerative Roundtable. All this and much more is coming up in Season 2, which starts on February 2nd, 2018. I look forward to seeing you there.